Hello. Finally. Finally. Oh man. Uh oh, your your microphone might be might be wrong. Oh, probably it is. Hold on. Um, no, no, ATR, blah, blah, blah. Huh. AirPods Max. No, it's good. Um, let's see. It's plugged in oh, here. I got you. I got you now. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think it was me. It was my it wasn't your microphone. It was my it was my headphones. My headphones were wrong. Well, you know, Ben, today today has been a bit of a journey. <laughs> I love this to, to get here today. So you know that you know that thing where you're um in your sitting in your house and uh it's you're in a scary movie and the lights suddenly start flickering. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you know that thing where all of a sudden your appliances start acting really weird and uh, flickering and stuff. Well, that <laughs> happened today at my house. Um, but it turned out that the problem was, um, you know what? The, the, what's that expression? Um, the um, uh, the calls coming from inside the house? No, payback. Uh, <laughs> Right. That's a that's a technical support term. Yes. Technical support term. You know what it stands for? Uh, the, uh, no, no. What is that? Okay. It, yeah. it stands for problem is between keyboard and chair. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, which which is not it's not what the problem was today. The problem today was between the um, between the uh, telephone pole and the electric pole and the house. And the house, so, yeah. So everything was fine on the electric pole. Everything was fine in the house, but that connection from the electric pole to the house um, was, um, let's just say, uh, not consistent. Um, apparently, uh, one of the phases, Ben, I know you're an electrician, uh, one of the phases was between zero and 50. And, uh, oh. and that's, that's not what it's supposed to be. You need it. it should go it should go to 220 221 220 whatever it takes <laughs> whatever it takes but exactly so, so 50 50 is not what it takes no 50 you need more than 50 and you you've already turned it up over 11 right so <laughs> exactly so it's, it's been, when you're at 50 you're more than 11 more than 11 but not 220 221 whatever it takes so yeah. so so, yeah. so the, the let me let me give you the the correct um uh project management term or or computer term it's pibipa pibipa problem between electrical pole and house pibipa yes exactly yes. we yes. should put the go put that in urban dictionary right now yeah well i've put it <laughs> into the show notes and i'm sure that that's going to be a show title for us yeah so 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 the what, what the listener doesn't know is that there was a an entire update and i i left you alone with, with this, right? I got. I, I'm going to read a little bit of our of our email, which was, um, um, uh, hey, the electric is acting up in our house right now. The internet is out. This is at 9:46 uh, a.m. today. I, I could go to work to record, but I kind of want to be here to talk to the electrician. Not really sure when he's going to get here. So that and and you know that that is that that's where we were at at 10, and then I I I knew. I think if you're anything like me, and I think you are a little bit, right? Like you, you know, you're looking at your, at your calendar, you know, what you have on your calendar and what you're, um, oh, what, what you're kind of responsible for. Um, and, um, oh, I may have messed up the audio here, Don. We'll see. Um, 
So you, you may, have, you know what you're responsible for. So you're not like you getting a text from me saying, uh, what's, what's the status is not helping the situation. So I, I left it until sort of the last minute to say, what's the status. Um, and then you, and then you said, Hey, well, it looks like another half an hour. And we're going to be ready. You're, you're on mute, Don. Yeah, no, I know. I know because now you're eating one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why I was on mute. So, you know, I'm prioritizing, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm triaging triage. I'm, I'm talking to I'm talking to Charlie the electrician. I'm talking to John and Nick from Freehold Borough. You got him. Um, I'm talking to an unnamed man who is here to sand the sheetrock. Um, I'm talking to my my lovely wife. Uh, I'm taking the dog for a walk. You got um, a lot going I'm, on. I got a lot going on. Um, oh, I'm talking to I'm talking to friends of the show. Well, friend of the show Linda Harris and manager of a lab with friends of the show Kathy Glass. Because oh, yeah. um, we're planning our challenge study workshop. Now I had a meeting, I had a call with them. Um, and that I had to push that, as they say, uh, by 15 minutes. Um, so I had that. Um, and you know what I didn't have time to do was eat lunch. So oh, I was a little bit late because I had to make a peanut butter sandwich. Um, and I got some tea and I got some fizzy water. And while you were talking, I was eating my peanut butter sandwich of as course. fast as I could. And then you threw to me and I was on mute with a mouthful of peanut butter sandwich, but I'm good yeah. now. I'm All here. Right. So, so I'm, I'm not sure. I think what we need to do. Um, so I got like a little zoom pop-up that said meet, meeting audio might not be recorded. I think we should log out and then log back in. Um, Cause I don't want to lose this. We've, we've already been through that one time. Yes. So, so let's do that. And it's, it's all because zoom updated things. And, mm. and then I was on mute. So now they have a function that says, okay, if you're not on mute, we're not recording your audio. It, mm. But then I unmuted and then I hit a dialogue button that said, okay. But then I got a message saying, well, there might be a problem. So All right. maybe there's a problem, maybe there's not, but I know how to make it. So there's not a problem. Let's, we're going to leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll leave him right, come right back. All right, bye. Bye. Did, did we ever really go away? Well, no, we didn't really go away. No one knows. I'm going to edit all this out. All right. <laughs> So, uh, so, so you're, you're back up and running the squirrel the, 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 in my mind, the squirrel ate through your, um, the, the line, the, what I would call growing up a hydro line. Um, but I, I think here it's called like an electricity line because not all. Yeah. Because, because, because here's the thing, Ben yeah. hydro, that is a, that is a Canadian specific term. It is. Um, which I know from uh, bare naked ladies song. Um, right. Yeah, and so we we do have water here in Milltown, but I'm pretty sure that um, and they're used to and it's literally a mill town. Um, but I'm pretty sure that the electricity that comes to my house does not come from a hydro. <laughs> well, we, and you know we we have so much of the hydro in in Canada or in Ontario that um, the electricity providing i think it's like a crown corporation or agency it's like someone that the, the government kind of runs it it's called ontario hydro so so not only it's it doesn't it's not called ontario energy um it's called specific ontario power generation hydro one now because you know everything it's uh i'm sure it's like hydro one plus um <laughs> uh but yeah there, there's uh ontario hydro there you go there's a there's a wikipedia um uh, entry specifically is established in 1906 as the Hydroelectric Power Commission of Ontario was a publicly owned electricity utility in the province of Ontario. Um, 
Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, a hydro field cuts through my neighborhood. Somehow that always just made me feel good. I can put a spare bulb in my hand and light up my yard. (laughs) Oh, so good. So good. Um, so anyway, uh, you get, you get your, your hydros all hooked up. Um, well, so we should say, so we, we had to stop recording and then start recording again, because there might've been problems with the initial recording where I explained all of my electrical problems. (laughs) And either, either you have already heard those or you haven't, but I don't think it's worth going through it again, because what if you salvage that recording, right? Exactly. Exactly. So hydro problem, hydro problem fix. (laughs) Here we are. Uh, and not hydro, it's a uh, uh, town of town of Milltown, a uh, borough of Milltown uh, has, has fixed. And and but I do want to highlight here that we did establish because um, that the problem was pabipa right, which right. is a problem between electrical pole and house. Right. And in my mind, a squirrel ate your electrical pole, um, the 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 wire, the conduit. I, I don't know what the what the right term is, but but you're you, drop. Something... I think I think it's called a drop. That's Dude, what like, the, the electricians kept talking about the drop. Yeah, is it? You got a, it, we got a new anyway. We got a new drop now. New drop, new drop. So is your? <laughs> I, I think you might be at. You, I mean, for sure, you're at two twenty one now with your phase. You're probably at yes, two, yes. Yeah, you might be at two twenty six with the new drop because of the um to drop. Did you ask? Did you order a lossless drop? So it so it doesn't. It doesn't, uh, um, you know, you're not losing any of the, I, end, of the just, end of the power. You know, you take, you take the drop they give you, Ben, you don't, you don't, yeah. you're just happy. You're just happy. So one the, my, my wonderful, my wonderful electrician said, well, you know, the problem with living in Milltown is that the electricity is provided by Milltown electric and they're kind of a small town and, things need to be fixed but he says the good news is um when it needs to be fixed they come right out if this was uh psc and g you'd still be waiting and i'm like i think i think you're right chuck and also i have a great electrician who came out as i described the problem i started describing the problem he's like yeah I think I think I can get there today, and then by the time that <laughs> I finish the conversation with, is like I'm coming right out. Don't turn anything on. <laughs> right, right, right. But like when you start, uh, um, there's a poltergeist in my house. It is flashing all things on and off. You know, I I could just imagine what you were going through. Like, uh, oh, there's a beeping, and 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 then everything's flickering. Um, and as it's escalating, my, my voice, when, when someone says, oh, I think I might be able to get there today, I would say that that is not going to work for me. I'm going to need you to come directly now. So Chuck Chuck understood. He probably read your voice a little bit. Well, I think I, I, th- I don't think it was because I was trying very hard to be calm because I'm, I'm not an electrician. I don't know. I don't know what what's what. But it was just what I was describing to him. And the more I, I could see him getting like more and more concerned, the more I told him all the weird stuff that was happening. So, um, yeah. So anyway, he came out and he was, he's, he was, he's a, he's a good electrician and, and I, he wouldn't let us pay him. So I, I'm, I'm going to hire him to put some more lights in my house. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Cause I needed him anyway. Pay it forward. Um, hey, as so, long as yeah. you're here, um, yeah. let's talk about these lights so you can come back and install. And exactly. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, that's, that's good. I like, I like that. Well, um, I, I, um, I would have been, I, it surprised me when you said, well, this is, I need a new drop. You didn't use those words. Cause I wouldn't have known what that meant, but you, you said some, something along the lines of, 
Um, and in fact, along the lines, I will read it. Milltown Borough is running a new line to the house. And I thought in my mind, and, and maybe this is because of my experience with Ontario Hydro. I thought they were running it from downtown, right? coming in from downtown, who knows, might be, might be a month before you get the new line. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and then, and then you followed that up with saying, and this is at 11, um, 1154. I, yeah. I you, you, right. You said it won't be ready by 12 noon, six minutes from now, which <laughs> I, of, course, I'm, of course, but it might be ready to, by 1230. And in fact, it was ready by 1230. Um, oh, and so, and here's the thing when they, so they, they came out to diagnose the problem um, and then they had to go back to the shop and cut some line. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. So, but when they were there, they're like, yeah, we'll come back at some point. Your power will be out for about an hour and then you'll be fine. And that they were right. I mean, my power was out for, I mean, I wasn't using, I mean, power essentially was out because I wasn't using anything because everything was flickering. Right. Um, but yeah, they were like, like about an, about an hour um, from when they got back with the, the line, the drop that they'd cut uh, back at the shop. That is, that that's fantastic. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really your best, best case scenario with the situation that you were facing. Right. But best, oh, yeah. best case scenario is no, no power flickering. Best case scenario is power flicking, flickering problem diagnosed and fixed within what? Four hours. Oh yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, like the, because I, my electrician is from Milltown and he knows these guys, like he well, first of all he double checked everything because and I it's so it's so fun to watch electricians work especially Chuck because he he's willing to sit there and explain to me what he's doing, um, and and then um, and then when he talked to Milltown they knew like they they knew he knew what he was talking about right and okay. so it and so and he's like here's what I did and here's what this was and they're like okay well that doesn't seem right and hmm, okay and then they're like you know what I think you're right Chuck the problem is between the pole and the house. And uh, boom, there we oh, go. That's, okay, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting day. So anyway, we've 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 we're starting late. You have a hard out, and now we've consumed almost half an hour talking about non-food safety related things. But that's Whatever. Okay. Hey, this is, the, this is our show. What's in the show? It's in the show. It's in the show. It's in the show. Don, I come here to talk to you. If we talk about food safety, we talk about food safety. It's not just because that's the title of the podcast doesn't mean anything. It, well, here's the thing. It, the title of the podcast is Food Safety Talk. So yeah. probably two-thirds food safety, one-third just talk. Right, right. right. It, it, it's all talk, right? And sometimes right. we get to the other stuff. So, yeah. all right. I, there are some things I want to talk to you about. And I got some, like, quick hitter things. I got I got screenshots of, of text messages. There's some papers. I even highlighted things. Um, but I want to I, I want to start with um, something, I, I guess a little bit of an update, uh, and you and I back, oh gosh, seven or eight episodes ago, um, talk, started talking about lucky charms and, um, I was poison.com picking up a signal that there's something going on with lucky charms. And then we did a little bit of an update on this, but I want to give you the most up-to-date updated info is that FDA is looking into things now and they've got something like, um, yeah, five, as of last week, 529 complaints about, um, reports of illness and they, their FDA's website lists that they're actively like out there investigating this illness with general, these illnesses with general mills. The, the update is 
it, it, something's happening, but no one really knows what's going on um, with this. Well, and does and what and what what is so the question is so there must be something there, yeah, it's got right? Or or is is that not true? Is it is it that it still could be just coincidence and in people's heads? Well, I mean, all things are true. Okay, <laughs> all things could be true. Not maybe not all things are true, right? Like I guess to be determined. But okay. Um. So, uh, there was a um, a, a pretty good um, pretty good article that uh, in in the um, uh, so New York Post. No. Yeah, okay. I think it's New York Post. I put this in our in our um, in our links in our thing, and this is from. Um, May 5th. So um, our friend, your friend, my friend, Leanne Jacobs was interviewed about this. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'll, I'll read from the New York Post article. Leanne Jacobs, professor of food bioprocessing nutrition sciences at North Carolina State University, who has been studying the case, believes the outbreak may be linked to pandemic related supply chain issues. One oh. possible culprit, according to Jacobs, an alternative additive, such as the food dye made to, used to make the colorful, charm-shaped marshmallows in the cereal, which might help explain why some people have reported having green-colored poop, she said. Green-colored poop's not something that you would expect or want, you, eating Lucky Charms or not. Um, but uh, she says, uh, my first guess is is an ingredient change because many food companies experience not being able to get an ingredient and have, having to source it from a new provider over the past couple of years. Jacobs believes the chemical ingredient in the cereal, it is the chemical ingredient in the cereal, in part because so many people have reported becoming ill very quickly, a couple of hours yep. in some cases. Yep. And uh, so, and I think that's what we had sort of talked about um, here. I think there's a, the, the, the thing that I still come, I, I'm not sure we're all in step with what our friends in the world of public health and epidemiology are, are thinking on this. Just not not outing anybody or naming anyone but i think that there is still some skepticism that there is something happening but i feel that the uh, you know i was poison signal plus the fact that there are many people are or reporting illnesses to fda and fda is following up on those there's something here i i still in my in my heart of hearts as as they say i don't even know what that term means but in in my mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> I might be using that incorrectly, but I, I think there's something, I think there's something here. I think there's some, like absolutely some illnesses happening here. Well, and, and to, and it's going to be, well, it's not, it's going to be sort of complicated to troubleshoot, but it might even be a thing where like General Mills didn't even know that an ingredient supplier made a substitution. And maybe yep. the ingredient supplier didn't even know that one of their suppliers made a substitution, right? Yep. Because everybody is sort of scrambling. I mean, I think I, I don't, it doesn't sound like Leanne has any inside information, right? But right, certainly right. her speculation, I think, is 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 on target. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, and, and maybe it's not, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that, that food coloring, food dyes do pass through to poop, right? So I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure that the green colored poop has anything to do with it. But, but I mean, it could be something, could be even like a change to the packaging material. Something is migrating from the packaging material. You know, it could be, uh, could be a release agent. I don't know if they use release agents in any of this, but a release agent is something that you use to help uh, uh, something release from a mold, you know, like, so if you're, if you're 
if you got bread in a pan, you bake it, you put a release agent there. And, and even the, the labeling requirements for release agents is different because it's an indirect food additive, right? Not a direct food additive. And so again, foods are, foods are complicated. Uh, Lucky Charms are especially complicated maybe because they've got a bunch of different potential colors for all of those Lucky Charms, right? Um, so right, yeah, right, right. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I, I think we'll hopefully figure something out. Right, right. You know? Well, and so I can, I can report <clears throat> with my investigation into this. Mm. Um, with, with my, I'm my insider, imagining, I'm imagining you in a supermarket with a comically oversized magnifying glass and a, and a Sherlock Holmes hat. I, I, it's true. And, and I'll tell you, um, this is, it's extremely personal. Um, the, I, I didn't even have to go to any sort of supermarket. I have, I have children that enjoy lucky charms. Ah. Um, I, I can, and, and again, um, uh, uh, correlations, not causation. Right. Let's 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 state that here. My children have not experienced any illnesses from this. Also, they have eaten Lucky Charms multiple days, multiple days in the past, um, let's say eight, eight months, a year. And realistically, and, and please no, no, no judgment on my parenting, probably for their entire lives. This, this is it, it is it is not a a, um, a cereal that I personally enjoy, but my kids really like it. Never once have they um, reported to me that their poop was green. And and I will tell you, Don, that based on many of the conversations in my home with uh, my my two male children who are are 11 and 13, uh, poop, consistency of poop, color of poop, um, location of, of poop, um, are, are all very common topics. So I, I feel like that it had, had color, there, yes, color would have come up. Color yeah. would have come up in, in our, um, in, in our, uh, home-based experiment here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like for, and, and all jokes aside, my, my kids like this, um, they do eat, um, the lucky charms, like marshmallow, um, con- containing bars, the cereal, um, and, and I, you know, I think they would have, they, they would have mentioned that, you know, like we would have heard, oh my gosh, if I eat a lot of lucky charms, it, it gives me green poop. And then they would have gone immediately to eat more of it. So that there seems like there might be something there. Um, mm-hmm. but again, uh, that that's just my, my home-based investigation into this. Um, so interestingly, I wanted to highlight this to, to you. Um, it's, it, both so our friend Bill Marler, who we had on a couple episodes, is also in, uh, uh, um, interviewed for this. Uh, Leanne and Bill both say that they think that General Mills should recall the product. Mm. So Marler says, "My advice to General Mills is to recall the product and reset its trust with the consuming public until more is known." Leanne's quote is, "From a public health perspective, the prudent thing to do would be to pull the product off the market." Interesting, right? Hmm. Like, so, so, um, you know, th- this, <laughs> Leanne uh, jumps in even more. She said, quote, I can guarantee you that the lawyers on both sides at General Mills and at the FDA are getting involved in this. Um, uh, but we just haven't seen this, right? There's no, we don't see a recall. There's no product withdrawal. So it's, I, and I just wanted to highlight that because I think, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, right? Here, here we have a situation where it looks like from a non-traditional source, and I'll say that 
like explicitly, right? This is all kind of driven from Iwaspoison.com reporting um, that there are a bunch of illnesses here, right? Some something's happening I, is is what I said before, and, I, and I'll, I'll stand by that. Um, traditionally, it, it takes you know actual links to illnesses. Um, to to lead to a, a precautionary recall or finding some sort of adulterant or or a pathogen or knowing that the process went wrong. So what do you like? What do you think? Do you agree with with Bill and Leanne on this? And I'm I'm un, I'm undetermined. I want to I want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, I guess the question would be, since you don't know what's causing it and you don't know, like like what would you recall? Right. Like, are there specific product codes like again? And me, and I'm sure General Mills has more information than we do. Right. Like they know they can cross reference all of these uh, alleged incidents from I was poisoned. They can get the lot codes. Um, but but again, the question is, what would what would um, be recalled? Right. And 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 maybe. And so, you know, I, the, the one thing that that um, occurs to me is um, the, I, I don't know, this is, this predates your time in food safety, but the, in 1990, a very famous um, incident happened uh, where Perrier uh, recalled 70 million bottles of water mm. for benzene <clears throat> and basically, you know, cost them $40 million in sales, right? 40 million, $1990 in sales and the stock value declined. Um, but they, you know, the idea was, well, this is a premium product. We want people to trust it. We don't want to mess around with this. We're just going to recall everything. We're going to take the hit and then people will, will trust us. Right. And so, and there's an article, a uh, case study in crisis management um, um, uh, published in industrial management and data systems that we, we will link to. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough situation, right? Like how do right. you, how do you decide, you know, yes, you can certainly protect the brand. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough call. And I don't, and again, what would you recall? Do you just, do you, do you take, do you recall all lucky charms on the market? Do you take the product off the market until you can find out what's causing the problem? Um, you know, those, how, are, those, those are some key questions. How much is the brand worth? Right. Like that's the question, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I would think that lucky charms it's, it's a pretty, um, it's, it's a lot, you know, like, right. And, and I'm sure this is where, where general mills is probably again, speculating. We don't have any inside information on this, but they're managing, well, what is even the illness? What do we know about it? Or have they been able to get their hands on any product from consumers to see, to, to run toxicological tests on it? Have they like, do they know from the batches what might've been happening? All of the, the questions, right? Um, and uh, I just uh, sent you a link to a Forbes magazine article mm -hmm. from back in 2019 about the Perrier um, uh, situation. Um, two things I want to highlight here. One, um, this uh, uh, in early 1990, quote, in early 1990, during some routine quality checks, North Carolina health officials examined a few bottle, a few Perrier bottles and discovered elevated levels of benzene. Um, and it was three times, uh, so it was, shouldn't exceed 15 parts per billion. And I guess it was 15 parts per billion. Um, and no uh, adverse health effects are likely to occur, but Perrier got 
um, kind of smoked in the discussion on uh, not online back then, but in the newspapers, um, headlines and articles turned that three times into Perrier being quote contaminated, laced, and tainted with benzene. Benzene was proclaimed at various points as a component of crude oil, cancer-causing, and flammable poison. So, right, like the the public discourse almost certainly led to that recall. And and with I, what's really interesting is without some sort of causative agent in this Lucky Charms, and again, going back to the question that you asked at the start, is this even, is this correlation causation, right? Is there an actual link here? We, we still don't really know that. To any, we know that there are illnesses. Right. We don't know for sure that that Lucky Charm, like what other foods do people eat alongside Lucky Charms that might have a common sort? I don't know, right? Like what the 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 detective work on this is really tough. So yeah, I don't I don't know what to what to suggest. I think it was really like what you and do you recall all Lucky Charms that are in the yeah? Right, right, um, what do we know? What what does um. What does FDA know? What does General Mills know about specific lock codes, timeframes? I don't know. Really, right. Yeah. And, if, and I mean, certainly we could make a more informed decision if we had more information. But yeah. Based on the information that we have. I don't, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to, I mean, here's the thing. I, I wouldn't presume to tell General Mills how to run their business. And yeah. I, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, th- I think Bill is a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty reactionary statement. Right. 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 For, for Bill to suggest that they should do a recall, um, you know, because, I mean, we could also I don't know if this came up when we, when we had him on the show, but we did talk about whether he'll take a case or not. Right. right? Like, what are the what's the evidence that what's what kind of evidence base does he need to take a case? I don't think he's taken any of these cases. Right. No. So the evidence right. is not strong enough for, for Bill to get involved as a lawyer. He's got he's free to offer his opinion, of course. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see how it would it it, it continues to turn out, and and I want to hopefully hopefully we'll learn right. Hopefully this will this will be one of these things where we can solve it because it may well be that we just never learn whether it, whether it was real to what extent was it real what was the cause you know we just may never know. Right, right, man. Um, so the, yeah, it, it's in, interesting. Anyway, we'll we'll keep we'll keep talking about it as more information comes up because I think this is one of the more fascinating um, extending topics that we've had on, on our, our show over the last uh, decade. It's, and yeah, it's really, to me, it's a really interesting one. Okay. We've got follow-up. We've have super, really super secret follow-up. Um, and, and I think that this uh, we're, we're going to protect the innocent on this Don. Mm-hmm. Um, we got, we got a, a message. I'm not even going to say how we got this message, but mess, mess, a message made it to us that could allowed been, us been, could have been carrier pigeon, could, could have been, been smoke signals. Yep. You know, we don't know. Yeah, it could have been. Um, when when your hydro went down earlier, Don, did your um, did your Morse code go down? Morse that, code, right? Exactly. Could be semaphore. Could, could have been semaphore. Yeah. yeah. So so we'll we'll translate this into actual text. Um, but but we got a we got some follow up from a risky or not episode that we did uh, episode two thirty, which was uh, one of well, a, a fun one, 30 year old baseball card chewing gum. And so, um, I, I'm, we, we were both not risky on, on this and, and to go back to that episode, one thing that the person who ended up, who asked us the question asked us was, is the white powder on 
the uh, chewing gum in an, in any a, a new or an old uh, pack of of baseball cards or or trading cards is that an indication uh, of anything wrong from a safety um, aspect? So that's the foundational part of this. What you know, what we got from let's just call this individual deep gum, deep deep mm-hmm. deep deep chewing gum. So deep chewing gum says apologies. I'm a little late on this one. Talcum powder is commonly used in the manufacturing um, of uh, chewing gum. Up until a couple of years ago, they carried both a risk of salmonella and listeria due to the way that it was processed in quarries. Modern talcum powder used in gum is processed and then mixed with cornstarch as a way to prevent it from sticking to the wrapper. Um, <laughs> and w- which then led to a, a whole other side conversation about, about wrappers. Wrapping. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it wasn't until about maybe 2015 that gum companies started requiring treatment for talcum powder used in food. Uh, and then Don, you were going to talk a little bit about death kinetics. Um, but, but, uh, deep, deep chewing gum says, I'm pretty sure that the risk of salmonella and listeria in 30 year old talcum powder is low. Right. Um, and then also it's, uh, just a reminder, this is super top secret information that we have. Um, and, uh, yeah, no one, no one knows exactly where the salmonella comes from, but the prevailing theory is that birds poop on uh, into the talcum powder in the open air quarries. So well, they, yeah. they poop on the talc. Yes. which gets made into there you, it's talc that gets mined in the quarries it's not talcum powder you right. take the Correct. talc and then you crush it into talcum powder apparently yes yes and talc so, um, and, from and, the internet do, uh, science world mm-hmm. is a clay mineral composed of hydrated magnesium silicate with uh with a specific chemical formula and if you do a google a scholar search on talc and salmonella. What you find is that a lot of people um, are not looking in talc for salmonella, but they are putting salmonella into talc as a dry inoculum. So um, a lot of research on talc and salmonella, but not any prevalence studies uh, to look for it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, but, it, you know, interesting, because we talked a little bit about um, some other powder. I can't remember what it was gypsum powder or something that was that's involved in gum um uh, anyway in that but good like mm-hmm. that's good good follow-up and from deep chewing gum I, i'd also add the the idea of like salmonella bird poop from talc that's not surprising right like to me that, oh, that not at all no. yeah um and and actually this this leads to something that i don't think i put into the um uh, the, uh, the, the, the folder or anything to talk about, but I did an interview, um, with the wall street journal, uh, they, they had reached out to both you and me and I beat you to it, mm-hmm. um, about a flower in, uh, pizza dough and the risk of, um, salmonella and, and pathogenic E. Coli, um, in, in those low moisture foods. And, and so I spent some time with the, um, with the journalists from, Wall Street Journal talking through, you know, wheat can certainly during the growing process have animals and water around it. Uh, water certainly needed, uh, and and though both animals and water could 
um, lead to contamination of wheat, which is then dried and then milled and then added into dough um, or used as a main ingredient of, of dough um, where you could certainly get pathogens all the way through to, to pizza dough because this is related to a, a large outbreak of um, uh uh, non-0157 chickatoxin producing E. coli in France that's led to two deaths um, over the last three or four months. But to me, it's it's not like as I talked with this journalist and sort of explained that that situation, um, it wasn't. It's not surprising that we that we have pathogens in dried flour. The same reason why it's not it wouldn't it's not surprising to me that we could find salmonella in in talcum powder um, well, if we I if we looked. Well, uh, well, I want to come back to this French outbreak in just yes. a minute, but but yeah, and so we'll and as we mentioned in that risky or not um, podcast two eighty, um, gum manufacture is incredibly proprietary, um, and we talked about all of the different things that are in gum base, um, and the only thing that I will I will add is I did a, recently did a uh, a sensory panel. And as part of the sensory panel, they needed a saliva sample. And one of the things that when you're giving us for, for DNA purposes, and one of the things that when you're, and also for a COVID test, um, but one of the things that um, you can't do when you want to get a saliva sample is you can't chew gum, right? Mm -hmm. You can't uh, suck on a lemon that you can think about sucking on a lemon, right? Um, but what they <laughs> gave me, right, was parafilm. Because apparently you can chew on parafilm, which is a thing that people who work in science labs know, right? Um, uh, and because that's going to be, it's not going to affect the uh, saliva generation. So it was, it was really easy to generate the saliva that they needed. Unlike when I first did a, a COVID test uh, and I had to spit into a tube in front of a lady on Zoom, um, <laughs> uh, which is a very specific kink. Um, uh, 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 and it was, it was really hard to do. So, but, but let's, so let's come back to this, this French outbreak, right? Or let's segue to this French outbreak, because if somebody had said to you, hey, there's an outbreak of E. coli in pizza, I would be, yeah, of course there is. We've had outbreaks linked to pizza before. How did the pepperoni get contaminated? Uh -huh. right? right? Because, and we, and because, you know, pepperoni is made by, you know, fermenting meat. And if you don't have the fermentation right and the meat is contaminated with E. coli, you know, you can get, you can get E. coli survival in, in the pepperoni. What, what really puzzles me is, okay, I, I agree that it would be possible for you to have E. coli in dough, but, or in, in, in flour, which would be in the raw dough. But the question is, how the heck did this get onto pizza, which I'm assuming is, yeah, so it's, so it's frozen pizza. It's sold by Nestle's, which is a big food company that should know better. Right? How the heck? And I and I know you you're you're madly uh, messaging me a bunch of links, which are hopefully going to explain this. But this is really a head scratcher, right? Because people are going to heat these pizzas up. The dough is all the dough is baked and then put in. So maybe it's a post process recontamination. But still, no, who's eating frozen pizza without reheating it, right? So anyway, so, uh, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. explain all this. You're gonna answer all my questions now. I know. I, I think so. So the third, the, the first one that I'm that, uh, or the second link that I just sent you um, reports on a 2016 E. coli outbreak 
uh, is this one was 015787 linked to a dough mix. And the dough mix was pizza dough. It was a dessert. So um, I'll read from, um, again, MMWR. And Don, I, l- l- before I, l- I'm going to get a little sidetracked here because I'm drinking yet again out of my favorite <laughs> mug. You're drinking, Ben. It's a little early. A little, little early <laughs> drink. But I, so it, this popped up in my, um, mm-hmm. in my memories uh, mm-hmm. on my phone. But uh, <laughs> eight years ago this week, I received a mug and a very nice letter from the folks at CDC oh. at MMWR um, because I had said somewhere how much I enjoy reading MMWR. It's my favorite Thursday read. Continues to be the today to this day. Um, so anyway, kudos again to MMWR. In, in a for so many reasons, M- me, morbidity and mortality weekly report uh, from the CDC. Uh, uh, a- anyway, an article from 2017, and I'm going to read directly from this MMW um, uh, r- report. This this outbreak was associated uh, outbreak associated cases were identified in nine states, um, and I won't read them all to you. Among 12 interviewed patients, nine reported eating at one of nine locations of Restaurant A, a national restaurant chain, during the week preceding illness onset, including eight who ate a specific dessert pizza made with a Mm. proprietary dough mix by manufacturer A. So a couple of things um, potentially were happening in this uh, outbreak. Uh, One was certainly it could be undercooking of that dough. And um, so that that is, you know, uh, so uh, evidence obtained at one restaurant, a location showed that dessert pizzas were made with the same dough mix used in traditional pizzas, but used thicker dough and might have been undercooked at some locations. Flour is not usually thought to be a food safety risk, but flour based mixes are ubiquitous in restaurants and are often used for dusting of surfaces for transfer of pizzas as well. So there are a couple of things going on there. I think that we might be looking at a um, a, and a, a frozen pizza um, situation. Again, I don't know how much, and this might be um, based on what happens in my house. Again, my, the, my where I do experiments, but we, we don't eat a lot of frozen pizzas, but every once in a while we will have a frozen pizza that we bake for um, usually for the kids. Um, and I, I take a lot of care in um, following the manufacturer's cooking instructions. And I take a lot of care in also measuring the temperature of a frozen pizza. I think that I am unique. I don't think that, and especially based on much of the research that we've done with consumers and preparing foods. Um, and uh, I'll link to, although it wasn't frozen pizza, we did some work with frozen corn. I think that there is a um, perception that frozen foods are, but by some consumers that they are ready foods and don't need cooking and you are only reheating them. And I think that in this case, without looking at all of the labels and information about it, but I could see how there are illnesses linked to the um, undercooking of frozen pizzas and consumption of a somewhat doughy uh, pizza. Um, and my kids probably would just eat it and not like make a, I don't know, they wouldn't reject it. Even if I had undercooked it in my home, because I think they just like eating frozen pizza. 
Well, so we, so interestingly, we um, eat a fair bit of frozen pizza oh, in our house. Well, I should not have judged you on no, that no, you don't. No, no, but, yeah. but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Not so fast. Settle down, Sparky. Zippy. <laughs> um, so, but our frozen pizza comes exclusively from Federici's family restaurant in Freehold, New Jersey, where we used to live, where if we're in town, we will pick up a couple of pizzas. We will bring them back to the house. We will freeze them and we will reheat them as needed for occasionally easy to do dinners. These are already cooked at the restaurant. They are thin crust, they're very thin crust and we reheat them until they are the cheese is bubbling. So um, yeah, so that we are not the typical uh, pizza consumers. We got a fancy new toaster oven, has a frozen pizza setting, but that's not the setting that we use because these are not your typical store-bought frozen pizzas. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, th I think that like you just you just highlighted you know how I handle it, how you handle it. Think about thousands and thousands of customers all across France um, handling frozen pizzas all differently, right? Like, there's not one way to cook this. Maybe I'm using an air fryer. Maybe I'm using a toaster oven. Maybe. Uh, again, not not knowing how everybody handles this, I it would not surprise me, and um, and this goes back to an episode that we recorded recently for Risky or Not. Wouldn't surprise me if like one or two percent of the population takes a frozen pizza and throws it in the microwave. Not yep. certain, certainly not yep. in the manufacturer's cooking instructions, but that's what people have in hand, and it might be a quick way to to do it. If I gave my kid who my kids who are now kind of experimenting a little bit with um, making food, uh, especially like lunches uh, on weekends without me having to make it for them. They're, they're using um, microwavable Mac and cheese. They're reheating food from the um, that we've cooked already from like uh, uh, leftovers. They're looking into things that are in the freezer, w w you know, make foods at your heart's desire um, whatever you want, as long as I don't have to make it for you, but follow the instructions. I've, I've certainly, um, trained, um, passively trained my kids to use a thermometer because they see me doing it and they see Danny doing it all the time. But, um, but I, you know, that's not, I don't think that's the norm. I think you've got so many different ways that people are handling these foods. I don't think it's a cross contamination issue. That would surprise me. I think it's an undercooking issue. And and the what was really like, I guess, um uh, good about the the interview that I did with the Wall Street Journal is that the question came up as how much of a responsibility do, does the consumer have in this? And I said, I don't think any. Um, you know, and and I that that's my bias, but I think if if the manufacturers have to recognize all of the variability of how a consumer is going to handle this. And they need to build in safety aspects of their product. And if there's 1% or 2% of people are just consistently going to undercook it because this is how they prefer that pizza, then they need to manage those pathogens somehow um, before it gets to consumer. But we, we engage in that conversation, right? Like, because I think that's easy to say, and we've seen this done in previous outbreaks with frozen or not ready foods where it's like, well, if a consumer just cooked this, then we wouldn't have the illness. True. If a consumer had the tools, had the information, 
it was communicated to them how important it is to cook it to a safe temperature. And we didn't have the pathogen in the first place. All of those things would also reduce the likelihood that someone's getting sick. So just to like point fingers at a, at a consumer, I think, and I'm not saying that that's happening in this outbreak, but I think that that's problematic for us in the, in the food safety world. Yeah. And, and, and I would say too, in the case of pizza, I would agree with you that we should not, we, we should expect that the consumer could eat that like thought on the counter and eat it and it should absolutely. be safe. Right. Yes. And I absolutely agree with you that microwaving can lead to problems. And again, speaking of kids, so my, my kids are grown, but at, at one point, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that my younger son ate, um, frozen raw breaded chicken thingies as our friend Doug likes to call them yes um reheating it in the microwave and gave himself food poisoning right yep. from that and so that is so pizza no expectation raw breaded chicken now we're kind of we're in a little bit of a gray zone because the package technically says raw but but um they look cooked right and yep. certainly you should never I would I just wouldn't absolutely would not recommend microwaving that um, versus now a raw hamburger patty or a raw chicken breast. Well, now I think, you know, we, we, there's an expectation that the consumer is going to cook that right. Um, and there's safe handling directions on there. And again, this gets into, you know, the sort of the history of the, the meat industry and food safety and people just need to cook the food and we don't, we're not under any obligation to make sure that there's it's pathogen free or there's low levels of pathogens. I think that the industry has kind of come around on that, but, but before we leave this, so before we leave this French pizza thing, right? So that pizza is cooked in the factory, right? Right. I would think so. I would think so. So, so, and so that's my comment about post-process recontamination, that pizza, when it's cooked in the factory, should be E. coli free. But now you, the first link that you sent to me, which we haven't talked about yet, is uh, that basically um, the, uh, the factory, um, the, the Nestle factory headquarters outside Paris were raided. Um, the, uh, the authorities ordered a halt to their production at, at the, at the Cowdery faculty factory oper op operated by Buotini, which is owned by the Swiss food conglomerate Nestle. Um, so basically they, there was a police raid at this factory and they shut it down, right? Inspections revealed deterioration of food hygiene controls, rodents, insufficient measures to prevent pests from, from contaminating a food production, production site, right? And so, okay, so the E. coli was in the dough, but but maybe it was rodents instead, right? I mean, right, yeah. I don't know. What are what are your thoughts on this this yeah. first post article? Is I, it? I mean, is yeah. it just, just sort of like slipshod journalism? I mean, I, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I think that maybe it's, um, you know, it's it's more than that. It's a does d are we managing food safety risks in this specific plant correctly? Is it a problem with the product and process or is it a problem in the plant or is it both, right? Like how, right. how confident are we that everything is going right? Well, certainly there seems to be some problems on hygiene controls. There could be cross-contamination, right. right. all of it. It could, you know, the way that I described this and actually the journalist asked me a similar question. I said, well, it, these, um, what was found in this raid, I don't think 
points a finger at what the problem was, but right. it certainly could make the problem bigger, right? right. Like, or, or, or it's an indication of some pretty systematic yeah. mistakes. Like this is what made it into the article, but there could be other stuff about like cleaning of lines, right? Like I could exactly if, if this if the if the pathogen came from the flour and they cook the pizzas and then maybe to help them from sticking to the packaging, they throw down some raw flour, right? To to dust the bot. I don't know if it's, this is something to do, but or or they just have poor uh, product flow control where there is raw flour in the packaging environment, right? I mean, there's a possibility that they cooked the pizza, they killed the E. coli, and then they added raw they added raw flour accidentally or on purpose to the to the pizza, right? It, right. As, went before it went in the package. Right, right, right. I, absolutely. Um, it, so yes, or and even goes back to what I talked about before, it could be that there's flour, raw flour that's that still exists on the base of the um, the pizza dough itself, like the, the baked frozen pizza that is used to to remove so it doesn't stick, right? So the dough doesn't stick during the baking process. Yep. Um, I've certainly seen that in, in some of the frozen pizzas that I've seen, that I've eaten. And oh, wait, so you, you've you've detected raw flour on the frozen yeah. pizzas? That, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, like, right. I mean, the like um, uh, on the on the underside, you know, like like how you would see in a, in a bakery or in a pizza restaurant where raw flour is used on those sticky surfaces as a way to move those pizzas around. So I, I don't know, but I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. I've seen cornmeal in this, in the same way on like in, yep. in other yep. um, types of food. So, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, again, to be determined, what's really interesting on this and I won't, a um, couple of things, Bill points this out, uh, has talked about this a little bit and he talked, I think us about it on this podcast where HUS it, the, he, he believes that there's a lot of underreporting of the actual size of this outbreak because of the high percentage of HUS cases that are publicly being reported. But like, and I, right. I'm, right. I'm going to sort of mess this up a little bit because I don't have the numbers in front of me. But oh, it's, no, yeah. it's from Food Safety News. Uh, it's at, in there. At the, okay. the Food Safety News from article from uh, March 31st um, okay. said 75 infections, 41 of those are HUS. And that's right. way higher than we that's way higher than we expect. So there's probably way more infections that are not HUS that are yep. due to this product. Exactly. For sure. Yep. 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 So, yeah, just I, I, well, I mean, to be to be determined, um, I, I don't know. And I haven't been able to get my hands on um, like an actual um, uh, pictures of an actual butini uh, package to look at the uh, cooking instructions, right? Like I know what would be required here for these products if they were meat containing pizzas, but I think it pretty much if someone's making meat containing pizzas that, 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 that includes raw meat, right? Like they would have um, manufactured cooking instructions or safe handling instructions about the cooking of the, of the product um, that would make it, you know, say take a temperature, but I wonder if that's still the same thing in France or if Nestle's Butini do that, right? Like, cause we've, we've certainly heard anecdotally from folks here in the U S less so, but I would say outside of the U S in the UK, um, in Australia and New Zealand about 
the re recommendations that we have about use a thermometer and cook this food to, you know, 71 Celsius or, you know, 165 Fahrenheit or whatever it is that, oh, well, people don't have it. So that's why we say piping hot. Um, mm -hmm. I would be interested to see if manufacturers cooking instructions and the lack of safety information there or the lack of a specific temperature are a factor here. Um, you know, in the, if you build it, we will come. If you don't tell people that there's a temperature that they need to get to, then why would they ever use a thermometer on it? Right. 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 Yeah. So, and on the, on the food safety news article, um, it says it's, so it's the, uh, Boutini brand fresh up pizza. Um, and the, the, uh, the, the picture is of uh, four fromage, right? So four yep. cheese pizza. And then in the caption, it says one of the recalled pizzas, right? And so right. it's more, more, there's several different types apparently, but, and, and the pack, it does have a picture of the package, yeah. um, but it doesn't it does. have any cookie directions. Right, right, right. right. Yep. Um, and that's the, that's the piece that I'm, I, I keep you know, looking for um, here. I'm sure it exists. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Um, one other thing that I wanted to highlight for us before we left this conversation of like low moisture foods and pathogens is that I would like to, the, I read something this morning about this. So let me drop you a, um, a link here for show notes, but there was a, an announcement um, that I saw in food safety news that our friend uh, Jennifer Acuff from the University of Arkansas um, just got a $200,000 grant to learn about how much moisture is required to allow bacterial survival in low moisture foods. So she's looking at, um, uh, you know, many low moisture foods um, are considered to be ready to eat. So this puts consumers at a particular risk. So her research is designed to gather data that will allow collaborative research uh, in the future of cleaning, sanitizing, and processing in low moisture food environment and about cross-contamination. So, um, yeah. So anyway, just congrats to, to, to Dr. Jennifer Acuff, who, uh, who we, we, we like a lot. And I like to, I've spent lots of time with her at IAFP and, uh, I saw this and I just wanted to say, say hi. And that was, yeah, this is cool. Cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we got that, um, something else I wanted to talk to you about, um, was how, how much have we talked about kinder eggs? Should we talk about Kinder Eggs? Yeah, let's talk about Kinder Eggs. I love, let's talk about Kinder Eggs. We've talked about uh, smuggling them across the border, I think, haven't we? We, um, we have, but that was before this latest outbreak. And again, yeah. it's another big European outbreak. Yeah, so let's, let me find a, let's find a link on this. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole bunch of uh, salmonella outbreak or salmonella in, um, in Kinder, Kinder Eggs, uh, both, um, we, there's been illnesses in the U S too on this from the same kinder eggs. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll, there's an article from uh, United nations news, which I will read from, uh, it's dated, uh, 27 April. So I'll, I'll read from this while you, you look for more. So world health organization said Wednesday, there've been more than 150 suspected cases of salmonellosis from Belgium to the U S after United kingdom regulators flagged a cluster of salmonella typhimurium cases a month ago, children under 10 have been most affected. 89% of cases are children under 10, nine patients hospitalized, no fatalities as of the publication of that article. 
Um, yeah, so uh, again, we've got uh, one to two cases in the US and then a bunch of cases throughout Europe, most of the cases in the UK right now. Yep, and these are for not just Kinder eggs, but lots of different Kinder things. Right. Um, so there's, uh, the, we'll link to this uh, FDA Oprah, uh, um, announcement uh, really long headline, but the Ferraro voluntarily recalls Kinder uh, registered trademark, Happy Moments chocolate assortment, and Kinder registered trademark mixed chocolate treats basket because of uh, salmonella. Um, and uh, these are not intended for U.S. distribution due to recall of products made in in Belgium. Um, and so, yeah, uh, there. Well, so this says there were no reports of illness in the United States to date. This goes back to um, April 12th. I believe that after April 12th, there were some illnesses in the U.S. Yeah, because that's what's mentioned in the U.S. Uh, one to two cases uh, in the in indicate, indicated in the United Nations news uh, article. Yeah. So, in yeah. But I mean, same thing, right? Low moisture food, yep. salmonella. Yep. We talked about yep. pathogenic E. coli. Um, and actually this, this is, today's is all about low moisture foods. I got a really, so there, I, I threw a paper in here, Don, that I want you to take a look at. Um, so it's the, uh, I think it's, um, of course they've got terrible titles and I didn't rename it, but this is Listeria monocytogenes and low moisture foods and ingredients. It's a food control paper from 2019 um, from uh, uh, Bradley Taylor, Adam Quinn, and I, uh, Kaito, Ka, Kato Oka. So I know this is the part of the show that people love is when I mispronounce everything. Um, so anyway, I got a call from, again, someone, let's just call them um, deep food service industry. <laughs> who, who um, I, I got a message that said, and I'm going to re read you from this because I, a uh, uh, random question. If I have a fully cooked bacon with a maximum water activity of 0.9 that will be thawed and used in sandwiches, would you ask the supplier to complete a Listeria uh, environmental monitoring program? Um, and, and, you know, would, and would it be just, it, would it be enhanced for this? And so the person goes on and says, I guess the question is, should a Rady low moisture food 0.85, where the supplier cleans with water daily, have Listeria environmental uh, monitoring program in place? And, and I said, yes. And I sent back this particular paper, basically saying there uh, you know, just because it's dry doesn't mean that there isn't listeria in that facility. And the um, so there's a in table one is what I'll point you to in the paper, Don. Um, well, I'll read down the foods where there's been a lot of uh, work over the years on survival of listeria monocytogenes, non-fat dry milk, peanut butter, chocolate and peanut butter spread, raw walnuts, almonds, raw in-shell pistachios. And those last three you might be able to guess that um, our friend uh, Linda Harris was involved in raw peanut kernels, raw, pe pe raw pecan kernels, infant formula, and wheat flour. So I, I said, yeah, I mean, if, if we're looking, is, is there a potential for listeria to, to be in the environment and end up in a low moisture food, even a bacon item? Yes. Could it um, become a problem through the supply chain, especially storage, like 
maybe in the environment, it, it becomes a problem. Is there a potential for growth? Maybe, uh, depending on what happens with that low moisture food. Um, but yeah, it's uh, certainly you can find survival for long, long times, four months, 12 months, 105 days, depending on your um, your uh, temperature. But but I, I think that you should be looking for listeria and monocytogenies and low moisture foods as well, if you're going to be looking for it in non, um, you know, uh, low moisture foods. Yeah. So just a couple of comments. Um, so first of all, like it's one of my missions in life to get people to stop talking about how long something lasts in a dry food. Yes. Because it's all about the starting concentration, the detection limit and the rate of reduction. Yes. Um, yes. And, and you, 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 all you have to do is specify the rate of reduction, right? Because, because the time depends upon those other two factors. And so if you tell me the time, I'm going to want to know those other two factors so I can calculate the rate of reduction, or you can just tell me the rate of reduction and we can be done with it. Right. So I, right. I just want to point that out again. Um, and the other point that I want to make is that listeria is a low, is not a low dose pathogen. So I am much more worried about salmonella being present in dry foods. I'm not super worried about listeria being present in dry foods. Um, should the company control listeria? Sure, of course. But yes. I'm, I'm much rather than worry about them controlling salmonella and E. coli in the environment. Um, and I'm less worried about listeria in the environment. Uh, this would be a perfect example where if we had a zero tolerance, uh, we had a non-zero tolerance for listeria. In other words, if we, if we allowed up to 100 listeria, uh, per gram or per serving in a food that did not support the growth like this this dry bacon product that would incentivize the company to do testing and we would have a we wouldn't have a um, uh, uh, bluebell ice cream style uh, outbreak right so I'm again again bluebell ice cream is different right because the there were massive problems and probably the risk amplification happened in the um, hospitals where they were making these, this ice cream into milk, into milkshakes and they, the milkshake mixers got contaminated, uh, and they, and they didn't have proper sanitation. The, the bacon, you could imagine maybe a scenario where somebody would redo something with that bacon that would put it in an environment oh, where listeria could grow, I'm gonna, but I'm yeah. going to give you one. I'm going to give okay. you like, and this is exactly why. So, um, let's imagine that you buy this bacon and you make a series of sandwiches. Um, so you put that bacon in between uh, another deli meat, cheese, um, maybe lettuce, something like that. And then you package that sandwich and you hold it at refrigeration temperatures for like a week. Mm, yeah, I, I I would like to see the challenge study, but sure. yeah, you could you yeah could be. I'm changing. I, mean, I guess my my thought is here. I'm changing the environment. It's oh yeah, no longer sure. just bacon, right? Sure. Like it's it's now bacon as part of a sandwich that has differing. The water activity may have changed um, at that interface, and and if I'm, I, I think that I want to know more about the list. And certainly, I think we're on the same page. Like listeria management within the bacon making facility is important. Um, but I, I, I don't, I'm not thinking about it as just bacon. I'm thinking about it as an ingredient where that environment is going to change. And we're going to get some storage time at that maybe different water activity at the interface. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, and again, I, I think it, it probably uh, that would, I, I don't, again, it's been a while since I've looked at the USDA FSIS rules, but I think that this product by, by regulation would have to have, they would have to have a listeria control program in this facility, right? It's yeah. Not, it's not optional. The question was, should it be enhanced? Is this oh. one? Yeah. Yep. What does it, what does that mean? Well, um, so should, should it go to, um, weekly zone one or zone two, or just the regular base? Yeah, I, w- I would be happy with the regular base. And I can, mm. it sounds like you would, you would, you're, you're one enhanced. I would, I would want enhanced. I think it's, um, it would make me feel better if I was buying the bacon. Oh, well, here's the thing. If you're buying the bacon and you're willing to pay a fair price yeah. for that bacon, you can specify whatever you want. Yeah. And that was the question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's, yep. if you're, yep. if you're the, if you're the buyer, yeah. You write your own specs and, and, and yeah. Cause, cause again, that's the thing. Like the, like if you are going to, let's say you're going to take that bacon and you're going to mix it up with some ice cream to make milkshakes yeah. for immunocompromised people in the hospital who for some reason are craving bacon flavored milkshakes, right? Well, you can set whatever crazy ass specs you want. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, but I think that this is like one of those, um, interesting ones that, that come up, right. Where it's, it's not, to me, it's not just about the bacon. It's about, it's about how the bacon is going to be used. And right. yeah. And, and yeah. it's only this, it's only the buyer of the bacon that knows that. Right. Right. So the bacon seller doesn't matter. They are doing everything that they should be doing. And it's a, if someone's just going to eat it, they they're going to eat it. But now we mix it in with some other stuff. Um, should, you know, should we be doing something a little bit different? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can you can you yeah. can you send me the link to that food control article? Because I, I did I, not capture it when you. I think I probably can. So. Yeah. Thanks. Um. So the other, and I'll, I'll send you a link to this one too. But there yeah. was I, the one, the other thing I wanted to ask you, or maybe just share, was that there was a very cool article about chicken splash, um, <laughs> that came out right around the exact same time that, um, the article that I talked about in the last episode about. Um, washing chicken was published in, in journal of food journal for food protection journal of food protection. Um, and this was in, um, in a, a, um, a journal that I'm not familiar with called physics of fluids. Uh, and the, the article title is chicken splash exploring the health concerns of washing raw chicken. And this is, I don't know if you Don, have you seen this in the, in our, in our thing yet? Um, cause I want you to look at, there's some really cool pictures. Uh, and this is the kind of work that I really love. I'll send you a link to this as well, because it really highlights two different approaches to the same question, right? We, we asked a question, um, well, we carried out a, 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 some research that USDA asked a question about what, what are the, the risks associated with washing chicken if we watch consumers, right? Like we answered the question by observing what people do. Um, this group, uh, Caitlin Carmody, Rebecca Mueller, and Benjamin Michael Grodner, and it says et al. So maybe there are some other, oh yeah. Um, uh, Andre Chlumsky, James Wilking, and Scott McCullough. They, these are folks from um, uh, the Center for Biofilm Engineering at Montana State University. Uh, they looked at this in a different way by basically measuring droplets after it hits chicken. 
And there are some really cool pictures. Ba basically, they they found that the um, the height, the 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 space between faucet and the chicken was a factor on how far droplets are going to splash. But but ultimately, and they I'll read from the abstract here. We conclude that washing chicken does pose a, a, does does risk pathogen transfer and cross-contamination through droplet ejection, and that changing washing conditions can increase or decrease the risk of splashing. But to the, like it really adds to the to the literature um, in a way that we didn't um, in ours. And I just I thought this was a really great great paper. Yeah, and th those folks from the uh, the Biofilm Institute there in in Montana, they've been around for a long time, and they, and they do very good work. Um, and I, I did want to point out that chicken splash um, is not the same thing as splash chickens. Uh, mm. Splash chickens is apparently a coloration pattern. You, you'd know this from your front yard chickens. Um, that uh, it's a coloration pattern that uh, sometimes you can get in chickens. So so chicken splash not the same thing as splash chickens. Correct, and also not the same thing as turkey splash which from cwkrp thanksgiving episode mm -hmm. <laughs> uh yeah um but anyway like this i don't know this is this one this paper to me is like the kind of like research this is why we do why we need multiple papers to answer the same question right like yeah. th this this is uh, it's so it's so interesting to me sometimes when people outside academia or even new to the field researchers are like, oh, I got scooped, right? Someone did the exact same thing as me and they've already published it. And now all of my work is, is, is fraught with problems, right? Like we weren't the first to do it. And almost never do you have exactly the same papers that are published, right? Like there, there's always some nuance, some change and putting these two papers together answers the question in a more complete way than one does on its own. And I'd love this. Like this is, it's, it's very cool to me. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I, again, this idea of getting people who understands, who understand the physics of fluids, right. Um, yep. to, to weigh in on this is, is incredibly, incredibly helpful. So, yeah. yeah. Which is not what our study was designed to do and you can't right. put everything into one study and it's great and it's okay. Right. Like, right. Uh, yeah. Um, cool. Um, okay. So what else? There's one, uh, did you know a bunch of bus drivers got sick from, um, a, uh, foodborne illness that we, that is un, undetermined, but they were all driving people to Coachella. I did not hear this. Tell me more. Well, I think that's pretty much the story. Little information. Um, I, I will send you the, the link to this, but, um, uh, little information is known. Um, a, a 40, a hundred bus drivers said they became ill. More than 40 people will take, were taken to three hospitals, complained of various symptoms, including stomach cramps, dizziness, nausea, and diarrhea. After eating dinner that was catered for uh, employees of the transportation company that provided the shuttle services. Yeah. Okay. So not, you know, not, not great. So, I mean, do a little armchair uh, um, uh, epidemiology, Don. Uh, I'm like guessing so. it was the dinner that they had catered. Yeah. Dave, well done. I'm guessing that I'm, that uh, it was uh, Staph aureus or Clostridium perfringens um, intoxication. Yep, I think you're probably right. Uh, and just, I mean, with the 
cra crazy high attack rate. And yeah, so that, so that happened, but also Coachella, right? Like if, if, if something's going to happen at Coachella, that's related to foodborne illness, we're going to talk about it. What, what happens at Coachella stays at Coachella, unless it's a foodborne disease outbreak, in which case uh, it's getting covered here. Right. Or never happened at Coachella, but like, on the way to Coachella, right. 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 Or, but like, like Tupac um, was never at Coachella, but his hologram was, are you okay? Are you familiar with this? I I know what I know who Tupac is or was. Okay, I think he might be dead, right? I don't he know, is. and I know what a hologram is. Was is 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 is, is Biggie Smalls involved in this, or am I conflating? Oh, oh my gosh! Well, you, hopefully not, but there is a lot East of coast, West Coast. Exactly. I mean, okay. There, there's a lot of conspiracy about, or maybe not conspiracy, but a lot of thoughts about um, the the deaths of those two. Uh, um, hip hop, uh, legendary, influential hip hop artists that they were linked to each other. Um, that there might have been uh, retribution. Anyway, there's a lot. Anyway, um, the the strain. The, uh, I will read or I will link to something. And this, it's funny. This article I read it recently, like within the last six months. The strange legacy of Tupac's hologram lives on five years after its historic Coachella debut. So, okay. unlike foodborne illness, Tupac was never actually at Coachella. Um, but his hologram was. <laughs> um, hey, you you got a hard out. I got a hard out. I think I think we need to call it a show. It's a, it was a quick one, um, but I think we we hit on, on most of the stuff. Teaser for next time. Um, we're going to talk about a LinkedIn battle about uh, an IAFP award because we, oh, we need to get we? to. Oh yeah, we need to get to the bottom of this. I don't know what's oh, happening. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. That sounds very uh, like yeah. Oof. Tune in. Pretty very gossipy yeah oh yeah very gossipy tune in next time uh for that um all right don well i will i'll talk to you later bye bye Was that food control link? Yeah, sorry, I didn't get that to you. It's okay. Food control. That was the Listeria one, right? Yes. Yeah, I Googled splash chicken and what came up with chicken splash. It was very funny. <laughs>
I should have tried to chicken splash one word exclamation mark. I probably would have got me there. I can't I can't access that article. It's a it's a paid uh, thingy. Which one? The chicken splash. Oh, you can't. It's it's free for me on Science Direct. Hmm. The link I just sent you. Oh yeah. no, sorry, that's different. Not chicken splash. I'll get you chicken splash. Okay. Um, place here. Interesting. I got. I have the actual. I put the art. The actual article in our. Oh, I'll, I'll look. I'll find it there. It's fine. I, I okay. want to read it. I want to look at the figure. Yeah, it's list. in our. Um, it's in our front box. Yeah. Here's the link to Chicken Splash. In case you need that, I may have already sent you that. No, I didn't. Um, send me a different link. Of course. There's, Wait, this is from 1994. It's not. It says that. Oh, that's, that's when, like, stupid, <sighs> right? Yes. It's not even really available yet in hard copy, but it's yeah, to, March 2022. Um. All right. Let us look. We have three minutes to schedule. Um. How is, um, I will give you two dates that are quite good. Um, we could go before Food Covey Net, which I know is early on the 23rd, or which this might be more preferable, um, any time before 3 p.m. on Tuesday the 24th. Uh, let's do that one. Yep. So you, let's do 1 you, p.m.? Perfect. One PM sold done. Are you, so are you going? Is it this week that you've got your um, challenge study? No, uh, Chicago. June. Oh, June. Okay. Because I was saying I will be in Chicago next week. Um. For Weird. yeah, there's people in Chicago this week for Food Safety Summit, right? All right. I'm not going to that. Yeah. Um. But I'm going. I'm going to the national, I'm on uh, the national, the national restaurant association scientific board. Cool. Yeah. It's cool. It's Pat, Patrick Guzzle. I like that guy. Oh yeah. I like Patrick and Larry. It's a, it's my, it's our people. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's good. And actually there's something I want to, I was going to talk to you about today. Um, but I will send you an email about it. Okay. Um, the safety of cooking with cedar planks. There's like, Oh a, yeah. Yeah. There, so you, Yes. There was a CFP issue about that. Right. right. And there's like a problem. Basically, FDA. Oh, yeah. Won't... They talked about this at the board meeting. Yeah, yeah. There's no incentive for the industry to submit it as. Right. Yes. It's fat. And, and it's only a yeah. regulator problem, but FDA won't do it unless the industry submits it. So, yeah. So the restaurant the association. Doesn't, it's, it doesn't. Industry doesn't want to be bothered with it. because Right. It's, 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 it's not. It's not. Pro, it's, it's prohibited, but everybody does it. And so. And so why, why would why I. We spend money. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yep. It's phenomenal. Yeah. So no, I, I would love to talk about that. Okay, cool. Um, all right. I'm going to go. Okay. Show notes. Show notes are in the uh, Dropbox. Perfect. And uh, I still was posting the last one. I'm a little behind. Yep. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, all right. We're cool. Busy. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.